0: Come on back, grab your chair. We're in 1 John chapter two. 1 John chapter two, verses 18 through 29. Come on back. Lord, we just invite your presence. Man, I think you've already been here. (laughs) We're grateful for that. Thank you for times of fellowship and times of prayer and times of worship, Lord, times of gathering in your name. Pray, Lord God, that as we open up your word and as we avail ourselves to your spirit and your word, Lord, I I pray, God, that you'd speak to us. And uh, as you do, (laughs) Lord, that we would have ears to hear, Lord, that we would be tuned in and ready and excited for what you want to do. Lord, we love you. We're here to do your good pleasure. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. try to I don't know maybe that is gone now. First John 218 through 29. Thank you, Seth. Appreciate that. Um, there's a song that is sung by an artist named <laughs> Jelly Roll. How many have heard of Jelly Roll? <laughs> have you never heard of Jelly Roll? So a few of you, okay good the, the cool kids in our group have heard of Jelly Roll. Yeah. <laughs> no question, right? He sings this song, Son of a Sinner, and here's some of the lyrics. He said, I never get lonely. I got these ghosts to keep me company. I took the rear view, the rear view off of this old Ford so I only see in front of me. Now the past is out of sight and out of mind. Swore I changed, now I'm back chasing these white lines. I'm just a long-haired son of a sinner searching for new ways I can get gone. I'm a pedal to the metal or pedal to the highway. If you ever wonder why we write these songs, cause I'm only one drink away from the devil. I'm only one call away from home. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle. I guess I'm just a little right. And wrong. Yeah, these lyrics, these are lyrics that we can all relate to in some way, whether thinking about our past or considering our lives today. It's the, I think it's the cry of our culture. It's a confusion. It's a longing for truth. It's a longing for. Direction, it's a longing for help. Like, what do I do? How do I get out of this place? I think there are some key elements that we see in scripture that will help people, that do help people navigate out of this crazy, conflicted place that we sometimes find ourselves. We must understand the times. Further, we must understand who we are in Christ, and we must be committed to Christ. In a nutshell, we must stay ready. My wife pokes fun at me because every time I get ready to go on a trip, I'm packing my bag days ahead of time. I'm excited about the trip. I want to make sure that I packed everything, that I'm going to get packed, that I need to get packed, and uh, she'll... She'll look at me and say, you are already gone. <laughs> like you, in your mind, in your perspective, you're already gone. You know, as believers, we have a trip coming up. We'll unpack that as we go along, but we have a trip coming up. My father-in-law made his trip this last Tuesday, March 7th at 1035 p.m. And uh, he met up with his wife who died six weeks and a day earlier. He was ready. He was ready for his trip. And so we celebrate that and we glory in that. He was ready. I I just want to ask us the question, are you, are we, are we ready for that trip where we will meet the Lord, where we will stand before the Lord, where we will be in his presence? Are we ready? The challenge in scripture, and especially as we study 1 John, the challenge is that we would actually stay ready, that we're actually never not ready, but we've got the bag, we've got our bag packed and we're ready to go. We are anticipating, excited about what is coming. If we maintain that perspective, we will stay ready. And so no matter what happens in life, we'll be ready. we will be ready to move forward and meet the Lord. Number one in your notes, as we stay ready, we need to realize that this is the last hour. We must understand the times. This is the last hour. This is what John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. So there's an Antichrist to be revealed in the tribulation period, the son of perdition. There's an Antichrist there, but all throughout history there have been Antichrists revealed. Ever since the time of Christ, there have been Antichrists in the first century, all the way to the 21st century. First John 4:1 through 3 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many Already. So John's addressing, as I've talked about in this studies uh, previous in First John, here he's he's addressing these Gnostic theories floating around in the first century. This is why he's continually talking about Jesus in the flesh. He's confronting error people trying to bring confusion to those within the church. Gnostics considered material existence flawed or even evil and held the principal element of salvation to be direct knowledge of the hidden divinity. But well, Jesus was anything but hidden. He was in the incarnation. He was God in the flesh. And so it's no wonder that the enemy comes up with crazy ideas that confuse people, that are designed to confuse people about who Jesus is. Jesus is God in the flesh. In his incarnation, he is God in the flesh. He was, no, he was no hidden divinity. He came so that we might see him, so we might hear him, so we might know him, so we might worship him, so that we might be saved by him. He was no hidden divinity. He was and is God in the flesh. There were antichrists then, and there, well, there's antichrist now, and we must test the spirits. And so when we're hearing of things, Listening to people preach, teach, lead, we need to test the spirits. We need to test what they're saying against the word of God. And we're going to see later on that the Holy Spirit within us will help us to discern what is happening in the culture, because in the culture, there's going to be confusing messages that try to derail our faith and confuse what we believe about who Jesus is so they verse 19 the antichrist went out from us but they did not really belong to us and so these are people who were within the church and they were trying to they were trying to bring confusion within the body of Christ it says they went out from us but they did not really belong to us for they had not belonged to uh, for if they had belonged to us they would have remained with us but Their going showed that none of them belong to us. And so this is part of John's evidence that we are in the last hour, these antichrists. The sincere Christ follower will stay in the fold. The sincere Christ follower will stay in the fellowship until the end. The rest will go out from us. That's why the scripture says, do not forsake the gathering of believers. We we have this, call, we're compelled by God through the Spirit and the Word to gather together. Why? Because this is where we find fellowship. This is where we find encouragement. This is where we find uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is where we get built up in our most holy faith. This is where we need to be as the body of Christ. And those who don't agree with or believe in the message, they will, they will ultimately leave. But the sincere follower of Christ will stay. The last hour began with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see similar usage in Hebrews one two it says, "But in the last days, last hours, same uh, same Greek words there, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world." So these last hours. Our last days are not just in the distant future, they're in the here and now from John's time in the first century till now. We're in the last hours. We must stay ready. We must stay ready. How do we stay ready? Well, we gotta be ready to be used by God, ready to be taken home at any moment. Jesus will return, will you be ready? Ready? Jesus addressed this issue in Luke chapter 19. Um, the people around Jesus, they, they, they were under the impression that the kingdom would come now, like God's the culmination of God's plans would happen now. But God, through this parable, speaks some instruction for the people then and now, giving us wisdom and instruction about how to live our lives in the day today. And this is what he wrote in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 and following. This is the parable of the 10 minas, some pronounce it minus, minas, same thing. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman An old man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business. Another translation might say, occupy until I come. Engage in business. In other words, until then, until the culmination of all things you have, work to do until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. He's speaking of the Jews who rejected Christ. The Jews didn't want Jesus to reign over, over them. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business by occupying until he comes. He gave them responsibility, things to do, specific kingdom work to do, and he would come back and evaluate and judge what they had been up to. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 mina more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, in a very little, you shall ha- uh, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina. You don't want to be in this camp. Here, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servants. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and that my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. If you're faithful with a little, you will be trusted with more. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. I think God is serious about the responsibilities that he's left with us. I think he's serious about what he expects of us. When he returns, he will evaluate what we've done with the talents that he has given to us. We have a responsibility to give him a return on that investment. And he's not gonna take it lightly if we've taken our mina, our talent, and put it in a handkerchief and put it away. We have a responsibility to do what God has called us to do. We have kingdom work to be engaged in using our time, talent, and treasure. Why? Because this is the last hour. What happens next? After the church age, we'll have the rapture, the rapture of the church, and then we'll have the tribulation period, the seven years of God's judgment upon the earth. After the tribulation period, we'll have the second coming of Christ. After the second coming of Christ, we'll have the millennial reign of Christ in the earth. After the millennial reign of Christ in the earth will be the judgment, the great white throne judgment. After the judgment will be eternity, a new heaven and a new earth. So, so we understand what John is saying. This is the last Days, the last hours, because after this, the rapture will be taken up. This is the time for us to occupy, to be ready, to do what he has called us to do while we have breath in our lungs. This is the last hour. We must understand the times. Number one, this is the last hour, we must understand the times. Number two, you have an anointing. How many knew that you had an anointing? (laughs) Like sometimes we we think about preachers. Oh, he's got an anointing. We think about powerful people of God. Oh, that, that person has the anointing. Listen, if you are in Christ, John tells us in this chapter that we have the anointing. Let's unpack that truth a little bit. John chapter Um, 1 John 2.20, but you have an anointing. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. He's talking about those who know the truth, have received the truth. He's talking about those who are in Christ, who are in the church, they have an anointing. You have an anointing. Stay ready. This is the last hour. You have an anointing. So this is preparation for the last hour. This is preparation for us staying ready. The reality, the information, the revelation that we have an anointing. Verse 21, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. So the word anointing comes from the Greek word charisma, chrismah That's where we get our English word charisma. So th- this is what we're talking about. There's a charisma, an anointing. Sometimes we misunderstand the terminology and we think it's only for a certain few. But if you are in Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you have an anointing. You have the charisma. The Vines Expository Dictionary says this, that believers have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One. This anointing indicates, it indicates that this anointing renders them holy, separating them to God, right? So in Christ, we are holy. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have been sanctified, set apart for the purposes of God. This passage teaches that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the, listen, all-efficient uh, means of enabling believers to possess knowledge of the truth. And so the Holy Spirit within us, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is the all enabling power that God has given to every believer. Every believer, not just missionaries, pastors, Christian leaders, but every believer. The Holy Spirit is the all efficient means of enabling believers. So if you're in Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit who is, he has enabled you to do what God has called you to do. And so uh, this is, I say this all the time, everything that God calls us to do requires that we're filled with the spirit of God and the power of God so that we'd be enabled to do what God has called us to do. Because not, none of us feel capable in our own strength, able in our own ability. We all feel insecure, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're enabled supernaturally to do what he's called us to do. Efficient is defined achieving maximum productivity with minimum wasted effort or expense. <laughs> so we can try all kinds of things in our natural ability, our natural strength, but when we tap into and allow the presence and the power of the all-efficient Holy Spirit of God, we achieve maximum productivity with minimum wasted effort or expense. In other words, God can do a whole lot with you if you just relax and let him work through you. He can do a whole lot more through you in five minutes than you can do through you in your whole lifetime. That's the reality. And so quit trying to make it happen or figure out a way to make it happen, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you and to work through you and to do through you and watch what supernatural works uh, result from that. So if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, so you have the anointing. Listen, we can stay ready if we've got the anointing. We can stay ready if we've got the anointing. When we realize that we've got the anointing, it's not a place of arrogance that we recognize it and grab hold of that. It's it's a place of gratitude, gratitude. Desperate appreciation, because we know that in our own strength, we can't get the job done. But with Christ, all things are possible. And so when we hold on to that reality that God is our all-sufficient, all-efficient power, enabling us to do what God has called us to do, then we can do supernatural and wonderful things beyond what we ever thought were possible in the natural. So if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the anointing. Your anointing will give you the grace strength, and capacity to do what God is calling you to do, your anointing. That's where it all begins. Now, there's preparation along the way, but you can't do anything without the anointing, without the power of God in your life. So we talk about this from time to time, but there are two kingdoms in the world, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You're a part of one or the other. So if you're a part of God's kingdom, then you've got work to do. Kingdom, capital K, kingdom work to do. And you're working for the king. If you're a part of the enemy's kingdom, then he'll put you to work doing all of the exact opposite things that the, the, the Lord of your soul wants you to do. If you're in Christ, then you're part of Christ's kingdom. If you're part of God's kingdom, then you have the necessary anointing to stay ready. I, I, I'm not sure that, we're all believing that we have the necessary anointing to do what God has called us to do. I, I, I need you, John, Jesus, me, I, we need you to know that this is the reality. Nothing can be done. You think about the, the, the men and women that follow Jesus, women who have been demon-possessed, delivered, and now following Jesus. Men who had been crooks, Deceivers, liars, confessing and repenting, and now following Jesus. Others who were just blue-collar workers, fishermen, and and and, and uh, laborers, and they recognized that Jesus was doing something. I, I love the story, of Jesus Revolution. Have you guys been out to see that yet? Yeah. If you haven't, just what are you waiting for? Seriously. Get out and see Jesus' revolution. It will, it will wreck you a bit, and you need to be wrecked. Uh, it's a story about Greg Laurie who planted Harvest Church down in uh, Southern California. That's where he, he got his name from the Harvest Church here. I'm, I'm just going to keep saying that until it sticks, even though it's completely wrong. So at 19 years old, Chuck Smith sends him out to go plant a church. At 19 years old, why? Because he was seminary trained, no. Why, because he was mature in the faith? Not really, not a lot of maturity at 19 years old. What did did he have? What was it? Anointing, and with that? Willingness, right? So he's got this anointing, and a willingness, and an obedience, and he went for it. 40 years later, he's still going for it, right? What are, you, what are we waiting for? We're not all going to be a great glory story, but we're going to be a great glory story in somebody's life. You're going to be a great glory story. Somebody's, you're going to touch somebody's life with the power that great glory has been touching people's lives for the last four decades, and they're going to be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and sanctified and baptized, and they're going to be ushered into the kingdom of heaven because of what you did. You partnered with the living God to see people saved and come into the kingdom. Not because you're good, but because he's good, because he's called you. He's given you the preparation of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You've got the anointing to do what God has called you to do, to be prepared to do what God has called you to do. Back to 1 John 2, John explains what's going on in the other kingdom to contrast what needs to be going on in God's kingdom. 1 John 2, who is a liar? Remember I said that John uses this word a lot. He's an old guy, so old guys have no filter. He can say whatever it is that he wants to do. Also, John talks about sin all of the time. In every chapter of 1 John He's talking about sin. Who is a liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. We have to make sure that we're holding on to the truth, the revelation about who God is, and not allow our lives, our faith, our beliefs to be diluted and convoluted by the partial truths that are floating around in the world. Galatians 1.9, Paul wrote, it's not on the screen, but it says this, as we have said before, So now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Paul's serious about making sure that people believe what saved them in the first place. John's serious about people being confident and focused on the truth that saved them in the first place. Verse 26, John writes, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. (laughs) So you've got God's kingdom. Your work within the kingdom of God is to do what God has called you to do, to seek and to save the lost. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's your job to seek and to save the lost. It's your job to disciple people. It's your job to baptize people. It's your job to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's your job. If you're a part of the other kingdom, it's then it's your job to lead those within God's kingdom astray. So the enemy's clear about his job. Are you clear about your job, or are you just kind of enjoying the ride? If you're in the kingdom of God, then you've got work to do. You can't actually just enjoy the ride. In the other building, I've said this before. I use the illustration that we're on a battleship, not a cruise ship. And so we had the back door painted in battleship gray because it was a reminder that we're on a battleship and not a cruise ship. So we've got kingdom work to do. And so on a battleship, everybody on the battleship has a job to do. What's your job within the battleship? It's not a cruise ship. You're not like getting room service. not getting your laundry done. You got work to do. Why? Because the enemy is shooting torpedoes. The enemy is trying to sink your vessel, so what are you going to do keep, to keep things moving, the, the kingdom and the gospel? God's using you. He wants to use you. Stay ready. It's the last hour. You have the anointing. You have the anointing, and so do what God has called you to do. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. Just a reminder, the anointing that you received from him remains in you. So tap into that. Say, God, I I need you to help me with discernment. I need you to help me with boldness. I need you to help me with clarity. I wanna do what you've called me to do in the season of my life. I wanna be about my father's business. I wanna occupy until you come. I wanna do kingdom business while I'm here in the earth. As for you, to the church, the the anointing you receive from him remains in you and and you do do not need anyone to teach you but as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit just as he taught you remain in him. What does it mean? You don't need anybody to teach you. Listen, You've got the Holy Spirit within you. We're, We're all learning from somebody. I stand up here every Sunday and I teach you. In preparation for getting up here to teach you, I have others teach me through commentaries and books and and through training that I've received up to this point. So it's not saying that you don't need somebody to help you in your understanding. It's saying that you've got the Holy Spirit within you who will give you the ability to discern right from wrong. So tap into that. And then if you have questions you don't understand, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Go talk with somebody and get some help getting clarity about your questions. Get some help with those things. But understand who you are in Christ. You are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You are anointed to do the work that God has called you to do. So don't delegate or relegate that responsibility to somebody else. You are in the place that you are in, in the season of your life, so that you can touch those people around you. If you weren't here for a purpose, God would take you home. But you're here for a purpose. So get after it and don't be confused about your purpose. It's not about everything that the world will tell you it's about, it's about kingdom stuff. You've got an anointing, you've got to stay ready. It's the last hour. Number one, this is the last hour. We must understand the times. Number two, you have an anointing. We must understand who we are in Christ. And number three, continue in Him. We must be committed to Christ. None of this other stuff is possible if we're not committed to Christ. If we're not continuing in Him, actively participating as a kingdom member. None of these other things are going to be possible. We're going to forget that we've got the anointing. We're going to forget that this is the last hour and we're going to be distracted That our faith will be minimized and our activity and our effectiveness will become nil. It's the last hour. God's given you what you need. You've got the anointing. Just say, hey, I've got the anointing. Say it out loud. If you believe that you've got it, I've got the anointing. All right, so now what will you do with that anointing? It's not given to you to sit on the shelf. It's given you to activate you so that you might do what God has called you to do. You will not remember it's the last hour. You will not uh, acknowledge the anointing if you don't continue in him. Verse 28, and now dear children, continue in him. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Confident and unashamed. What if Jesus showed up right now? <laughs> it would be awesome, but are you confident and unashamed? Because you've been about your father's business? Or are you wishing, oh, I wish I had another week? Another month, another year, another decade. I wish I had some more time. You want to be ready. It's the last hour. You've got the anointing. You want to remain in him doing the work that God has called you to do so that when he snatches us away, we're ready. Confident and unashamed. Not arrogant, but confident and unashamed. Unashamed. Confident because we know that we've been about our father's business. I remember my parents would head out of town and I'd have responsibilities to do, things to do, and and um, when I didn't do them and I saw them pulling up, I had terror in my soul, right? Why? Because I hadn't been doing my responsibilities. Instead, I'd been messing around. And so... There, there was no confidence. There was only shame. So if Jesus shows up today, are you confident and unashamed? If you're not, then go back to the drawing board and say, okay, what, what do I need to eliminate from my life? What do I need to add to my life? What do I, how do I need to arrange my life so that I know when Jesus shows up, I'm ready to go? Confident and unashamed verse 29 if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him this is this is how we this is how we continue in him we do what is right we do what is right continue in him so that you are confident and unashamed at his coming, but also in your day-to-day life. What does it mean to continue in him? Verse 29 says, because he is righteous, we must do what is right. Because he is righteous, we must do what is right. When we do what is right, we demonstrate that we belong to him. This is how we know that we belong to God, when we do what is right. Now, we will stumble, and we address that in the beginning of 1 John 1. I write this to you so that you do not sin, but if you sin, we have an advocate. But the goal is, not, is to stop sinning, to sin less and less. That's the process of sanctification, to do right what is right. In our culture, right and wrong are subjective and up for debate, there's no objective truth in our culture. It's all subjective. Well, how does it make you feel? What do you think? What's right for you? That's the culture we live in. It's all subjective truth. And so if we are products of the culture, then we don't even understand what right and wrong is. Because what's right for me is not for someone else. And what's wrong for me is not wrong for someone else. And so we've got this subjective, confusing um, uh, Garbage floating around in the culture. But God says in 1 John 5.17 that all wrongdoing is sin. God is not confused about what is right and what is wrong. We also know from 1 John 5.18 that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. So we've got to be looking at the word and having our lives change as a result of the truth of the word, but also the spirit of God who's anointed us for godly living and for righteous, righteous living. You know, John talks about sin in every, I said this already, but in every chapter of first John, he's talking about sin, right? He's like, I'm an old dude. I'm going to just lay it on the line, right? We're afraid to talk about sin because we, we don't want people to be, feel offended. And there are preachers out there who say, we don't need to talk about sin because people already know that they're sinners, John disagrees. Jesus disagrees. All of the early church, the apostles, they disagree. It's ridiculous. We need to be reminded of our desperate need for God's grace. The culture needs to be reminded of their desperate need for God's grace. The gospel is powerless unless we're talking about sin. Unless we're talking about our need for a savior. We've got no gospel message if we leave out the concept and the reality of sin. So we've got to talk about sin. It's the thing that defines for us what is right and wrong. The scripture defines for us what is right and wrong. God's not confused about it. The early church was not confused about it. Everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Read this article recently. It says, it's by S.J. Beard, written June 18, 2019. Could the world ever agree on shared ethical principles? People have been arguing for millennia, says S.J. Beard, and reaching an answer is harder harder than it seems. He continues, in the TV series, The Good Place, never seen it, never heard of it, in the TV series, The Good Place, a deceased philosophy professor called Chitty tries to help his fellow residents of a non-denominational afterlife to become better people by introducing them to problems that moral philosophers worry about. This includes a classic ethical thought experiment called the trolley problem. Here's the trolley problem. Imagine you're driving a trolley when the brakes fail and on the track ahead of you are five workmen that you will run over. Now you can steer to another track, but on that track is one person who you will kill instead of the five. What do you do? Unfortunately for him, Chitty's efforts are rather undermined when he is immediately placed in the situation of really diving, uh, really driving a trolley with failed brakes and has to decide what he will actually do. Spoiler, Spoiler alert, it says, he can't, he can't decide. As the show points out, people who study ethics like me and Chitty Love to think about hypothetical situations, but can be totally unprepared to make ethical choices in practice. As Michael, another character in the series, puts it, this is why everyone hates moral philosophy professors. It's just so theoretical, you know. Article goes on, so why, so why do people continue studying Ethics one gratifying answer for me and my colleagues would be that it's because they want to become better people. But this just doesn't cut it, he said. If you need to take an ethics course to become a better person, then there's a problem, then then there's probably something wrong with you to begin with. (laughs) Right back to the beginning. The problem that they have yet to identify is the problem of sin back to the song by jelly roll son of a sinner i'm just a long-haired son of a sinner searching for new ways i can get gone i'm a pedal to the highway if you ever wonder why we write these songs because i'm only one drink away from the devil and only one call away from home yeah i'm somewhere in the middle I guess I'm just a little right and wrong. And this is the problem with the culture. There's confusion. And this is the problem within the church. If we allow it to be a problem within the church. And if we align ourselves as a church with the culture, we usher in the same confusion that the world is experiencing. And when we usher in the same kind of confusion and live in that same kind of confusion, we've got nothing to offer to the world. See, we're not meant to vacillate constantly all the days of our lives. We're not meant to vacillate. We're not meant to vacillate constantly all the days of our lives. But when there's confusion in our souls and in our minds and in our hearts, we will vacillate all the days of our lives. What is right? What is wrong? We won't understand the objective truth that we see in scripture so clearly because everything is subjective and confusing and unclear. But if we stay prepared, stay ready, if we understand the times that this is the last hour, meaning I've got work to do, I've got purpose in this last hour, if we keep that clear in our perspective, remembering that we have an anointing, work to do, power to do the work, and if we continue in him, we will stay ready. It comes full circle, where we can, through confusion, identify way too much with the world. We are meant to be salt and light in a dark world. We can't be salt and light if our salt has lost its flavor. Our salt loses its flavor when we become like the world. There's no difference. People see us, and they can't differentiate between us and those who are in the world because we're just as confused as people in the world. We're just as perplexed about our lives because we're not staying ready knowing that God will call us home either through the rapture or through our demise here on the earth. At some point, though, we will go give an account for our lives We're confused and we vacillate and we just, we spend all of our time doing all the wrong stuff, just following the patterns of the world. We are meant to stay ready, packed and ready to go. Why? Because we understand the times. We understand who we are in Christ and we're committed to Christ. John's wrapping up his life so it's more clear to him than ever. But he hasn't been wasting his life up to this point. He's been about his father's business. And so now as an old man, a father in the faith, a kingdom leader, he's able to speak with confidence and clarity in the very end so that you and I, people then and now, can be built up in our most holy faith reminded, what am I here to do? What am I going to do about that reality? Is my life today going to be different than it was yesterday because of this information, this revelation? We gotta stay ready. With that, let's go ahead and stand up and invite the worship team. And so, Lord, help us not to forget, but to stay ready. Pray for help. So, Lord, I I, I know that your grace is sufficient, but um, and we'll confess and repent this week, maybe like we did last week. But at some point, we just got to get off the dime and get get on it. And so, Lord, I pray that you show us what the next step is today. What have we been avoiding? Where have we been rebellious? Where have we been disobedient? Where have we been unwilling to do what you've called us to do, Lord? In word, thought, and deed, with our time, talent, and treasure. So, Make it clear to us, Lord, so that we can stay ready. Understanding the times, recognizing that we've been prepared and equipped for such a time as this through the anointing, and that more than ever we need to be committed to you. Help us to be so, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.